Hey everyone, this is Kyle Maddox, your host for the Life and Ministry Podcast. A podcast where we strive to give you the tools to help you become all that God has called you to be, and most of all, to help you balance life and ministry. We would love to hear from you if there's a subject that you would like us to cover or any questions pertaining to life or ministry. We would love for you to email them to us at lifeandministry777 at gmail.com or by sending us a direct message on our Life and Ministry Facebook page. We do pray that this podcast blesses you today and most of all sheds new light in what God has called you to do. What do you say? Let's dive into this podcast. We pray you all have a great day in Jesus' name. Welcome to Life and Ministry. I'm your host, Kyle Maddox, and I'm so thankful to be joining you today. And I'm so excited to have a great man of God, a pillar, a um, uh, man of great legacy, building a great church in Sterling Heights, Michigan, Pastor Harold Hoffman. I'm so thankful to have him with us today. And Pastor Hoffman, thank you for taking time to spend time with us. It's just our desire to be a blessing and strength and encouragement to ministers uh, in the kingdom of God, just trying to be successful. And we're just so thankful you take time out of your day. And I'd just like you to open up, just to greet our audience, share whatever you'd like to share, but then also give your thoughts on what we're doing here at Life and Ministry. And then I'll come back in just a few moments. Thank you for being with us, Pastor Hoffman. Thank you, Brother Maddox. Well, it's a delight to be able to talk to all of you. And uh, I, uh, I've i been doing one of these, I think, every night for the last 12 days or so. So uh, it's, it's catching on and it's it's a it's a great medium. And uh, I'm grateful that, you know, you, we don't have to buy plane tickets and motels and food and spend billions of dollars. We can get on this and share. And so uh, I have no idea where all this is going or how many people are on here or just how many states are represented. But uh, to all of you that took the time to uh, log on, Thank you. Uh, they're kicking me and dragging me into the 18th century as it is. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I tell people I don't know my ram from my rom. And so, uh, but I, I am grateful that we have these mediums. And uh, I, I'm, I'm under the assumption that most of this is uh, younger ministers. And uh, um, I, uh, I'm 65 years old. And uh, in my mind, in my mind, I'm still 35, but there's just way too much evidence to the contrary. And uh, so I have to be really, uh, I've got this crazy little phone here. And uh, when I hit this contact button and I've got Brother Kilgore's number in there. Yes. Hangin's number in there, and David Gray's number in there, and Brother Barnes's number, and on and on. It's just, I called Brother Kilgore a couple months ago, and uh, he didn't answer. Mm. And uh, there was a guy, he said, I get a lot of calls asking for that man. And I said, well, I'll just tell you that you have the phone number of a really, really special man. And uh, I'm sure I... I I feel the same way those men did. Um, I don't feel qualified, um, but they're all gone. Yeah. And, and so I felt like it's, it's 
my responsibility to step into a role that whether I feel qualified or not, uh, many of you didn't know those people. And um, when you study the book of Acts, you know, in Acts chapter two, Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Yes. And it says, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and your daughters will prophesy. And then it says, old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. And for years when I would preach, I, I would say, you know, Peter quoted Joel 2.28. But when you read Joel 2.28, Peter didn't quote it exactly the way it's written. Because in Acts 2, he said, it shall come to pass in the last days. But when you read Joel 2.28, this is what it says. It said, it shall come to pass afterward. After. And so I just asked a simple question, after what? And the answer is in verse 27. Right before that, it says, I'm the Lord, your God, and the people will know. Hmm. They'll know that I am the Lord, and my people shall never be ashamed. Oh. And it come to pass afterward. So after what? After people get over their shame. And, uh, you, know, you know, I I have to be careful how I word this, but uh, there's, a, there's a verse in Malachi. It says, let the bride come out of her closet. Yes. And uh, we got all the, the, the lesbians coming out of the closet and we got all the homosexuals and now the transgender and all this crazy woke stuff. When Bill Clinton was inaugurated years ago, what CNN wouldn't show was on the other side of the Capitol steps was a group called Queer Nation. And they were screaming, we're here, we're queer, and we're going to get your kids. Hmm. And my point is, those perverts unashamed yeah. sure. <laughs> of lifestyle that is such that the Bible says it's an abomination, you know. And when you study abomination, it's something God always hated and always will hate. And uh, um, so my deal is, where's the church? Oh. Where's the Jesus people? It's it's everybody else is coming out of the closet. I, I think it's time for the, the church to come out of the closet. And, and we don't have to be mean and we don't have to be malicious. Oh. And we sure better not be proud. But we do need to be confident that we have a message that's appropriate for the call, you know, it said David served his generation in the will of God. Yes. And I did my best to serve my generation in the will of God. And I believe that you people, you younger ministers, you're going to serve your generation in the will of God. And and what I, I, I don't know if this is biblical, but it, it's my approach on it. I've always thought dreams happen at night. Sure. And a vision happened during the day. I, I'm, I'm sure there are exceptions, but if we just work on that premise. You remember that when Solomon prayed, I'm a child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. Just give me wisdom. When you study that verse, it says, and the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. Yes. He prayed the prayer that literally changed his life while he was asleep. Yes. And, uh, uh, that 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 always fascinated me, you know. And, and but if I take that verse in Joel and in Acts, 
it appears to me that dreams belong to elders and visions belong to young men. And when your memories become more important to you than your dreams, you're getting old. You're getting old. And, and I feel like I have two roles at this season in my life. One is to encourage senior ministers like myself to keep dreaming because the people that I always respected, they always lived in tomorrow. You know, I, I I was, did the Louisiana camp before brother Tenney died and there was some elder and he meant well, but he was saying about the good old days and Hmm. brother Tenney looked at me and he, he had that high voice. He said, brother Harold, he said, I was there in them good old days, and them good old days weren't always that good. And he said, I'm more excited about the ministry we have right now than we ever had back then. Yeah. And and I love that that kind of they they just lived in tomorrow and they they uh they were special, special people. And so I'm doing the best I know how to talk to all of us gray-haired men and say, what's your dream? You know. Do you feel like you still have a role to play? And if you don't, then it's time to hang up your spurs and and give it to somebody else. Um, in the Old Testament, yes. you can only be a priest between 20 and 50. That was it. And I know from personal experience, those are your strongest physical years, 20 to 50. And um, But at this, while I'm doing my best to encourage elderly men to keep dreaming, you can't marginalize the ministry of our younger men and women can't do that because and again this is just my personal take it doesn't say without a without a dream the people perish right it says vision people perish and if vision is the backyard of our young ministry if we if we don't encourage young ministers to 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 think outside of the box and to encourage them in their, we're, we're, we're going to die. We're going to die. And um, you, you look at this thing in Kentucky and I'm not marginalizing it. I'm grateful it's happening. It's a Wesleyan college. And um, I, I've had several friends that have visited sent me. I'm sure many of you have seen it and it's yeah. encouraging. However, I can take you to a place in Alexandria where they've been training 24 hours a day for 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I there there is hunger going on and I'm grateful for that. Um I I I I met some of these elders. I, I didn't know the the old gen. I did I never knew Brother Witherspoon. I I I, I never knew uh um uh, Winford Black. I I I I never knew Brother Urshan's father. Uh I but uh, when I was young, I made a list of 10 preachers. I was 17, and I'm, I was a hillbilly kid in West Virginia and lived in a little small coal mine village. And uh, I made a list of 10 people I wanted to meet. And number one on the list was G.T. Haywood. <laughs> and I was so ignorant. I had no idea G.T. Haywood <laughs> died in 1932. I didn't know. But uh, the other nine, I met those men and became friends with them. And I'm just telling you, uh, people sometimes call me and get home and say, you know, I don't want to bother you, Brother Hoffman. And I know you're busy. And I know from personal experience, those men, I felt that same way with 
David Gray and Brother Kilgore and, you know, but, but I found that if you were legitimately hungry yes. about the things of God, those old men had time for me. Yes. I don't want to just, you know, waste time. But uh, Brother Bernard was here Sunday for church and <laughs> he sent me a text a couple months ago and he said, I just finished the collected works of William Shakespeare. <laughs> if you ever see how many books Shakespeare actually wrote, I mean, it's, I think it's over 30 volumes. Wow. And I'm, okay, so you're the bishop of the church in Austin. You're the president of the graduate school. You're the general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. You have flown millions of miles. You've written over 30 books, and you're still disciplined enough to read the collected works of William mm. Shakespeare. It was like, I felt like a lightweight being around. The, the guy's just like a machine, man. Yes. And it was just, uh, and there, there's, I think it's Matthew 9. And in Matthew 9, the woman touched the hem of his garment. And there's a fascinating verse in Malachi 4 and 2. It said, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Yes. And the word for wing in English there in Malachi 4, 2 is a Hebrew word, kanaf. And, and the literal translation of kanaf is edges or borders of the garment. So what Malachi was saying was one of the ways you'll be able to know who Messiah is, he's going to have healing in the edges of his clothes. Yes. <laughs> I doubt if that woman knew that verse, but when she grabbed the hem of his garment, instantly she was healed. Wow. And it, it's because, how do I say this? Hmm. I think it's Acts 19. It said, and there were special miracles. Yes that were wrought at the hands of Paul. It said, handkerchiefs and aprons they brought from his body and the sick were healed. And you know, in Pentecost, you just go somewhere and get a bowl of cloth and cut it up, pour a little oil on it, say, that's our prayer cloth. Mm. That's Paul's work clothes. Yes. The handkerchiefs that he wiped his head with, the aprons that he wore while he was sewing those tents. They took his work clothes and literally his work clothes healed people. It's the same thing with Jesus. The woman didn't touch Jesus. She just touched the bottom of his clothes. So it says in Acts 19, they came from his body. They, they Look at Acts 9. Here, here's Saul on the road to Damascus. And he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And it's like, I'm not messing with you. I'm messing with these stupid hillbillies down here who, who are trying to destroy Judaism, you know? And Jesus said, you're touching me. Yeah. So the church, if it stays in close contact with the Lord, when you touch the church, it ought to be the same as touching him. Oh. And there's all these things through the Bible like that. And so what I do is I take my old suits and my old shirts and cut them up. That's my work clothes. And say, wow. there's, your, there's your prayer cloths. Get just, don't just get a piece of material. Cut up something that you preach in. Cut up something that you pray oh, in and, and give that to somebody. And, and, and it, 
It's that's in Matthew 9, 9, she touches the hem of his garment. But in Matthew 14, it says this, and many besought him. Yes. If they would touch the edge of his garment. So to me, she opened up a brand new ministry that had never existed before, or at least that thing had been in mothballs since Malachi. <laughs> and and I, I think it's Matthew 8. In Matthew 8, Jesus heals this leper. And and he said, now, I want don't tell anybody, but he said, I do want you to go back to the temple and show yourself to the priest. And then he said this, tell him to offer the gift that Moses commanded. Yes. So I see this used to be leper going back to church and the senior pastor comes out and he's been out of shape. Boy, it's like, what are you doing here? And he goes, look, I, I got on my feet and, and I got my ears back. And what happened to you? Um, Jesus of Nazareth healed me. And the, I can see this, this past, this priest furious. You, you, you mean the phony from Nazareth? Whatever. I just know I was dying and I'm healed. And he told me to tell you something. Oh, really? What did he tell you? You're supposed to offer the gift that Moses commanded. And I, I see this consternation on the face of this priest. Like, what is he talking about? Sure. <laughs> so you got to go back to Leviticus 14. It's like, it's like going back to your old Bible school notes or something. It's like, you know, and I'll say, let's see, pot, running water, two birds, hyssop, red piece of material, blah, 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 blah. I, Naaman, that Syrian general, he wasn't a Jew. Matthew 8 is the first Jew, Israelite, that was healed of leprosy. What That thing had been in the word since Leviticus 14. How many years? was? I don't know. Thousand, fifteen hundred. It just sat there on the shelf, and all of a sudden, it's relevant. It, 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 it's alive. I'm wondering how many other things are in the Word, just sitting there, mm. waiting for some of you men and women to take a step of faith and and birth a new ministry. A new. We have a girl in our church. Her name is uh, Talisha Gibbs. And she tells her testimony and a lot of, so I'm not violating her privacy, but she was raped. She wasn't in church. She was raped when she was 17 at knife point. My God. Never knew who raped her and became pregnant. And she had an abortion and she got into church in her twenties and ended up marrying one of the young ministers in the church. And she came to me probably three years ago and she said, brother Hoffman, I want to I want to do something and I'm going to call it heart. And I, I said, OK, Talisha, she said it's an acronym. She said heart stands for healing the effects of abortion related trauma. Mm. And she said, I have a burden for all these girls that did what I did and are suffering from the guilt and the shame of having an abortion. So now, three years later. It's been translated into four different languages. Oh my! We have three different countries. I'm I'm thousands of thousands of them every week are in touch with her. We partnered with something here called Grace Centers of Hope, and they've got 
we we help them build houses and remodel old houses and they take these girls who have just been battered and mm. and it's fast next next fall the governor is coming to our church she heard about and she's a liberal democrat but i don't care she's so encouraged by how many women you know they say all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put humpty Jesus can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Yes. And there's that verse that says, all you need is a piece of an ear or a tail. Just give me what's left over. And we've seen these women repaired and restored. And it's, we're dealing with a woman right now. She was in a lesbian relationship for four years. She found out her partner was unfaithful. Now, She's married. She's got four kids. She's beginning a ministry across the country. And she's has the courage to tell her testimony. And her husband is what it what's the word I'm looking for. He's not intimidated by her telling that story. And so he I, she said something powerful. She said, Pastor Hoffman, I promise you, I promise you in every lesbian relationship somebody's getting beat on. Wow. Somebody's getting pounded on. I promise you, I know that from personal experience. And and uh, all this, how do I say this? I always tried to be, you know, encouraging, tried to be the glasses half full, you know. <laughs> and there's always been a debate in Pentecost. My father-in-law, he was a wonderful guy. His name was Paul Cook. Renee's grandfather was a very respected elder. His name was R.G. Cook. My father-in-law told me something great before he died. He said, Harold, there's always been a debate in Pentecost. Mm. From the beginning, there were a group of men that said, when he comes, will he find faith? Yeah. And there'll be great falling away. He said, but there was also another school that said, the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. And the truth is, both of them are right. Wow. They, there are people that are going to fall away and there's others that are going to flourish. And I, you know, someone told me not long ago said, you're having a midlife crisis. And I said, you're right. You're right. I am. And they, they kind of, I, I said, look, I don't want a Harley Davidson. I I don't want a wallet with a chain on it. I, I, I don't, I drive trucks. I, I don't want a red sports car and I sure don't need a 20 year old blonde girlfriend. I'll tell you what I want. I want a harvest. Mm. That's what I want. I want a harvest. I I believe not I don't I'm probably going too long, but um, oh you're good. When I when I was a kid, I lived by Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we were all poor and and so football was a big deal. And oh whatever. I got so many stories. I was in the Atlanta airport and the duck guy was there, Phil oh, Robertson. Oh my! And I started talking to him, and just him and I. And he said, "What do you do for a living?" And I said, "Well, I pastor a church." He dropped his bag, hugged me, brought his Bible out of his bag. You should have seen his Bible. Wow! And I tell you, that thing was that dude knows that Bible, man. And we're talking, and 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 he's a tongue talker, and he just he he just went on and on, and he said. Uh, you ever heard of Terry Bradshaw, Harold? And I said, oh, yeah, man, I 
I'm, I'm a hillbilly kid from close to Pittsburgh. I know about Terry Bradshaw. He said, let me tell you something you probably don't know. Terry Bradshaw and I went to the same college in Louisiana. Oh, and wow. he said, I was the first string quarterback. And Terry Bradshaw was number two. And he said, I went to him and said, look, you want to play in the NFL? I want to hunt ducks. I'm going to step down so you can be the first string quarterback. And he mm -hmm. said, that's how Terry Bradshaw got in the NFL. And, and he wasn't lying, man. And Bradshaw, I heard him not long ago on, on YouTube. He said, Phil Robertson was good enough to play in the NFL. And, and so I'm talking, all of a sudden these people start screaming, it's the duck guy. It's the duck guy. <laughs> and he was just mobbed. It was cool though. He, his hair was greasy. He had enough, grease in his hair to crank my truck man he had old <laughs> old faded camouflage on and he smelled and <laughs> and i said phil where are you coming from he said i was on good morning america in new york this morning and i said like that and he said <laughs> he said harold i don't shower during duck season it messes up my mojo oh my <laughs> And he's on national television with greasy hair and, and just, it, he smelled and it was like, oh, but that duck thing is a big deal in their life, you know? And, and he invited me to hunt with them. And then the crowd came. I never got a picture. I never got his wow. phone number, whatever. Anyway, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they, I think they won four Super Bowls and in the last one, it was either, it was the third or the fourth one. Terry Bradshaw has temperature of 103. And they asked the coach named Chuck Noel, they said, uh, who's going to take Bradshaw's place? And he looked at him and he said, it's the Super Bowl. And and the reporter didn't get it. And he said, yeah, yeah, but who's going to take Bradshaw's place? And Chuck Noel said, listen, stupid, it's the Super Bowl. You don't put your second string quarterback in the Super Bowl, no. Bradshaw's today. And he threw and broke a record and they won again. And my point is, this is the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. Yes. And if you think Jesus Christ is going to put the second string on the field, you're wrong. This is the best church he's ever had. The Lord. And wherever you are and you're listening to me right now, would you please get over your inferiority complex and do what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And believe, believe. Uh, I'll say this and then whatever, we'll do some questions. But they, a man had a boy with demons in him. Yes. Brought him to the disciples and it didn't work. And he brought that boy to Jesus and he told him, said, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cast this devil out. Jesus cast the devil out. And when the man's gone, they said, why, why couldn't we do this? And this is what he said. This kind goeth not out yeah. except by fasting. Now, here's what most people don't realize. When you study Luke 10, Jesus had already sent those men out. And they came back saying, even the devils are subject to us by your name. So these people, these guys have already done some exorcism. They've already cast out some devils. But Jesus said, this kind, you're not getting rid of this kind unless you pray and fast. 
Brother Tenney used to say, for each new level, you get a brand new devil. And it's just like, I've heard people say, well, I met Satan. No, you didn't. You've <laughs> never met Satan. Never. No. You might have met a sergeant. You might have met a lieutenant. When you get in that level of the spirit, that's big. They're, they're, they're dealing with stuff like life and death, you know, not boyfriends and girlfriends. No. And, you know, no, 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 no. And it's just, my point is, if I met this wonderful man years ago in Moline, Illinois, his name was Wayne Mitchell, always mm -hmm. wore a bow tie. He could hit high C on the piano. Had a, he had an obnoxious voice, but he was a great old time preacher. And he said, I was, I was 19 when I met him. And he said, make a promise to me that you'll read a book a week for the rest of your life. And I, and I said, okay. And, you know, I, I haven't, I've been on vacation there's other time, but for the most part, for the last, whatever, 46 years, the, the people that I've met that are great communicators are voracious readers. Yes. Don't just get on that stupid computer and surf the web and watch YouTube. Study to show yourself approved unto God, which tells me you're really not going to have the approval of God if you don't study. And, 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 and it's just determined that you're not just, there's some people that think that I hear a lot of preaching and it's like cool whip. It, it's just, there are people that think cool whip is a food group and it's just, for goodness sakes, get into that word. There's nothing more powerful than quoted scripture that you've prayed over. Start memorizing state view this year. Memorize Romans chapter eight and start there and just start incorporate. Don't just tell, don't just get up and say, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. I've seen preachers get up and get mad at a crowd because they weren't worshiping with them. And it's like, faith comes by hearing. Tell us, tell us something and we will worship. But don't just get in front of a crowd and say, give me a J, give me an E, give me an S. It's like, not be a cheerleader. Put some word in them, you know? Read some books, read, read, study, memorize some Bible, read something about the Bible, study history, biographies. When, you, when, when people are giving you these non-refundable fragments of eternity called time, uh, that time's more valuable than money. And it's just make it worth their time yes. and build their faith, build their faith. And, and, and then just start. I was taught when I was a young preacher, they said, just have good church. Just, and so I gave myself to try and be a good preacher. But it's more than being a good preacher. Yes. You have to have the faith of God on your life. And if I if there's one thing I would redo, I would give have given myself more to prayer than mm. I did. I prayed, but I went to, I I I failed some classes in Bible school. I went to Bible school in Texas. I, not because I couldn't pass the test. I failed it because of my attendance. Mm. I would leave on Friday and go to Alexandria, Louisiana. I had some friends that lived there in town, Sklusicheks. I'd knock doors with them on Saturday. I'd stay for Sunday night, Sunday morning, or Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'd drive all Sunday night to get back to Houston in time to go to work. So I didn't go to class on Friday or Monday, and they failed me. I, I heard G.A. Mangan preach dozens of times. Dozens of times. There's only one time in all of those times that I ever understood what he was talking about. He was yeah. a terrible preacher.
He's a horrible. One time at Because of the Times, he preached a message called the Tomb of the Unknown oh, Soldier. Yes. And that's the only time I ever understood what he's talking about. Every other time I heard him preach, he'd talk about them Jews and them Arabs and that land. And he just started praying for people. People get the Holy Ghost. And I was in one of their prayer meetings and this woman died. She died in the before church in the prayer meeting. And they had all these medical people there and they're doing, she's purple. She's gone, man. They call the ambulance. It's outside. GA comes out of his office. Wondering what's going on, you know, seeing that. And they said, Brother Mangan, this sister died during prayer meeting. I'm right there, man. He comes over and reaches down and grabs that woman by the hair and said, I said in the name of Jesus, get up. And her <laughs> eyes opened and she stood up. <laughs> and I said, I don't care if the guy can preach or not. Wow, look at that. <laughs> and it's just, give yourself. Give yourself, it's going to be your hands that, that's wow. going to be people. It's going to be your mouth. It's it's going to be your mind that God's going to anoint. And and and, and I'm talking to some people, right? The reason you've yes. been fought so much, you have the potential to be a powerful weapon in the hands of the Lord. Yeah. And and that's not arrogance. God, God resists the proud, but he gives grace, grace. It's it's the buzzword right now. Grace, grace. People say, "Thank you for your mercy and your grace." Let me explain something to you. Grace is not mercy. It's not mercy. No. When you read the New Testament in Titus, it said, "And the grace of God, which bringeth salvation, has appeared unto all men, teaching them to deny ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously in this present world." And so, grace is a teacher. Not mercy. I mean, I, I've heard all my life, we live in a dispensation of grace, and grace started at the cross. Really? Well, what's this verse mean? And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord a long time before the cross. Yes. And you look, look at Joseph. Joseph gets sold by his brothers, and Potiphar's old lady tries to seduce him. And he said this, I can't do this sin against my God. Mm. That's Genesis 39. The commandments aren't going to even be written until Exodus 20. That's 450 years down the road. And you could say, hey, Joe, go ahead and go to bed with her. There's no rule. It's okay, man. You can, you can, you can. Adultery hasn't been defined in the commandments. How did Joseph resist the temptation of Potiphar's wife? Grace. Grace of God taught him to deny ungodliness. And, it, and it's just, who's going to ascend to the hill of the Lord? He that had clean hands and a pure heart. I, I, I deal with people all over the country. They're struggling with pornography. Hey, man, I had hormones. Uh, I, if I was 16 now and had access to the internet, I'd go to hell. Hey, was, I just, but I just believe that this people that I, you're going to be able to rise above there's just all this filth and this sewage and this garbage that's available to you right now. Don't mm. stay clean. Stay clean. And boy, I'm rambling here, but I was I was studying the word spirit one time. And there's all kinds of things in the Bible known as a spirit. But I made a mistake and I typed spirits, plural. And when you do the word search, 
There's only three. There's only three things in the Bible called spirits. It said there's seducing spirits, unclean spirits, familiar spirits. Yes. And 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 I'll say this, and then I, I really will stop. But <laughs> I, I I think Satan. When I was a kid, we used to have mud ball fights. We we didn't have any toys, and we'd get around these strip mine ponds and scoop a bunch of that yellow mud and throw it at one another. And you know, when you get hit on the chest, you get this giant cow pie in your chest. You can't say you missed. You no. know, so you're out you, you, until. And so I think that's. Did you ever go and have a great service and right after a great prayer meeting or a great service, think something terrible? Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, man. I, I just came out of the Holy of Holies and I'm and I think Satan, I think this is what's going on. I think Satan is constantly out there throwing stuff at us. Trying to seduce us. Yes. And every now and then something connects. We do. We all we all do something stupid. And now we're unclean. Now you got to wash and you wash by the word. You wash by the word. Here's what you don't want. I think that's where most people live. They, they're, 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 the enemy's after him. Every now and then he connects. We do something stupid. We feel guilty. It's Here's what you don't want to have happen. You don't want to get used to being dirty to where that you become familiar with that thing. And it's like, yeah, I give up. You know, it, you don't even fight anymore. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Renee's grandfather one time asked me, what's the greatest example of baptism in the Old Testament? I'm fresh out of Bible school, man. I got this one figured out. You know, I said, the laver, the laver in the tabernacle. He said, no, 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 no. He said, do you know that they had to wash every time before they went into the temple? Mm. And he, it was like, whoa, they never taught me that in Bible school, you know? He said, the best example of baptism is circumcision. Because it said, and Joshua made sharp knives and rolled away the reproach of Egypt. And circumcision can only be done once. And when you read Romans, it talks about it, Bob thing in there about circumcision. So I believe that when we're baptized, that's our initial washing. But it's husbands love your wives. And, and, and it's by the washing of the word. And it's just stay in that word and let that thing cleanse you. Stay clean, stay in prayer, put that word in you, and I promise you, God will use you. Wow. He'll use you. Lord Jesus, these are my brothers and my sisters. I don't know them well. I don't even know if I've met many of them. But I know you well. And I know what you've done for me. And I am no less and I'm no more than these people that I'm praying over right now. Okay. I'm not praying for them because I'm smarter than they are. I'm not praying for them because I'm closer to you than they are. The truth is, Lord, nobody knows as much about you as they could know. And nobody is as close to you as they could be. But your word does say freely we have received and freely we give away. So by the authority of the word and the power in the name Jesus, I'm asking you to use me right now, Lord, to put a foundation of the word beneath these people and to put a hedge of protection around them. 
and to put a canopy of submission over them. Guide them, guard them. I know your word says your ways aren't our ways and your thoughts aren't our thoughts. But Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus and was a servant. So I do believe, Lord, we can get your mind, that you can take a little bit of your mind and put it into us and we can see things your way. And we can understand things, Lord, that's off limits because the word said that when you turn the water into wine, nobody else knew where it came from, but the servants knew because the servants always know something that nobody else knows. So I believe I'm praying for servants right now, God. And as servants, I believe you're going to give us insight and understanding that nobody else has. This kind that we're dealing with isn't going to go anywhere unless we are people of prayer and of fasting and service and sacrifice. So I ask that you would guide them, guard them, and go with them and allow them to be a mighty, mighty weapon in your hands. In Jesus' name, we call it done. Amen. Amen. Pastor Hoffman, thank you so much. What an inspiration. And uh, you could you've just send a celebrated 35 years of pastoral ministry there in Sterling Heights. You could easily just say, you know what? I'm done. I, I, let's just I, I've served enough. But you're not. You, you're, <laughs> you're right in the m- middle of a large, much larger building project than the first one. And you have no desire, it appears. To, to throw in the towel anytime soon. And I just want you to know, we appreciate you. We value your voice in our life and our ministry. And again, just thank you for joining us today. Um, and if you do have a few few minutes, I'd love to ask you a question sure. or two. I've locked up some time. If you got some, let's let's do it. Definitely. Well, good deal. Well, you, see, you had mentioned that list of ministers that you, that you made a list of. And you mentioned, obviously, G.T. Haywood and a few others. What are some of the, who are the, some of the other ones? Uh, that you met and you know, maybe even share you know, something about one or two of them. Brother Kilgore in, yes. in Houston. I, I got, I don't know how much you know about what I, I got in serious trouble several years ago about sure. shooting off my mouth about that. But <laughs> I, um, I, I've seen it. Life Tabernacle was the number one foreign missions giving church in our fellowship. It's gone. It's gone. Mm. And uh, when I said what I said, I, whatever, I, I had done six district conferences in a row and I was, I was tired and I had done a conference in, in Chicago and brother Kilgore was there. It was the last time he left Houston and I was preaching this thing called the ministry of shadows mm. comes. It comes from, uh, it's in the message in Hebrews. It said in the old Testament, the priesthood was passed automatically from father to son without ever consulting God. And this is a shadow of things to come. I forgot he was there. Honest to goodness, I forgot he was there. And I said, the dirty underbelly of Pentecost are these preachers that give their churches to their sons who have no consecration because it keeps the business in the family name and it guarantees their retirement. When I said that, Brother Kilgore got on his hands and knees and crawled up the center aisle, crawled, uh. wrapped his hands around my shoes and said, 
pray for me, Harold, that the Lord will forgive me. He said, I didn't want to do it, but I gave in to my wife. Oh. And he said, we were the number one missions giving church. They don't give a dime now. I'll never walk in to Life Tabernacle again as long as I'm alive. I felt like I had rebuked the Apostle Paul. Brother Yance was there, still alive then, and I came, and he was right there when he said that. And I was, it, it was whatever. It was, so I was at the Ohio District Conference, and I was preaching this message called, where do we go from here? Because all these old men are dead. What are we going to do now? And it was just on a fluke. And I said, and Jim Kilgore, wherever you are right now, shame on you. Well, there was some backslid Pentecostal guy there in the room, and he uploaded it to YouTube right there. And the superintendent came to me and he said, Harold, you haven't said anything that we don't all think, but you're going to suffer for what you mm. just said. And my friend Aaron Bounds ran across the top of the pews, not on the floor, ran across the top of the pews, wow. grabbed the microphone out of the superintendent's hand, and he said, if we don't listen to what Brother Hoffman just said, we're damned and doomed. My and so God. in the next three days, in the next three days, I got 385,000 emails. It almost melted the server at the office. And interestingly enough, about 80% of them were positive. But there was some, they got that word network foolishness. I, I mean, yeah. it used to be when you actually, you might could remember two or three phone numbers of somebody that used to go to church. Not now. Now you get on that computer and there's an entire subculture of backslid Pentecostals yes. that encourage you to get out of that legalism and that bondage, you know. And so someone called me and he said, they're calling you a coward, Harold. Huh. And they're saying that you won't talk to Jim Kilgore. And I said, if you have his number, give it to me. And he did. I called him right then. And I said, Brother Kilgore, the best friend I've ever had was my dad. He was the best man in my wedding, but he's getting older and he's going to die soon. And I don't look forward to the day when I have to bury my dad. You just buried your dad. And I know you loved your dad as much as I loved mine. And I was tired and I was lazy with my mind. And I want you to forgive me. I'm, I should have never said that. It wasn't appropriate. And, and I was wrong to say that. And he said, well, Brother Hoffman, I really appreciate you calling me. I'm surprised that you called me. As you know, a lot of people said you wouldn't. He said, so I accept your apology. But he said, I have one question before we hang up. Did my dad really say that? Mm. Did he really say he'll never come back to Life Tabernacle again? And I said, well, you can call Brother Yance. He was right there. So he said, I consider this matter closed and hung up. Six months ago, they sold Life Tabernacle. It's gone. Wow. It's gone. They sold it to a charter school. And so Life Tabernacle was kind of like one of our flagship stores. Yes. It's gone. It's gone. And I, I probably just needed to share that. But anyway, Brother Kilgore was kind to me. G.A. Mangan was kind to me. Brother Tenney was an old man named George Glass mm. from Louisiana was just 
I can't tell you how kind how kind he was. David Gray in San Diego, California. Brother Barnes that was in Menden, Louisiana. Jeff Arnold. I met Jeff Arnold when I was sixteen. Wow. And it's just, it's just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, we call ourselves a nonprofit organization, and prophets didn't live long in the Old Testament. They killed them guys and. Uh, I've been around a couple of those men. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to drive Billy Cole. I lived close to him. He was wow. in Wheeling, Virginia. Billy Graham, if you ever go to the Billy Graham Museum in North Carolina, it, it's fascinating. But Billy Graham was never touched by scandal, never. And he attributed that to the fact that he never went anywhere alone. Mm. So Billy Cole adopted that. And he he would call me and said, come drive me, Harold. I was I took Billy to a place one time, Ravenswood, West Virginia. There was about 40 people, maybe 50 in the service. This guy stood up and started speaking in tongues. And I watched Billy and he said, You just spoke in perfect tie, and you confessed to a murder that you committed 10 years ago. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's face was ashen and he just ran out of the building and Billy looked at me and he said, well, I guess my tie's still good, you know. <laughs> he never called himself a prophet, but he would step into that office at times. Mm. I, I, my friend, Brother Arnold, he caught a lot of hell and havoc for Louisiana a couple of years ago. Yeah. There was not one thing that Brother Arnold said if it would have see because of the times originally started to be for young evangelists, that was brother Mike Williams and brother Kilgore and brother May. That's the way it started. But politicians started coming and whatever. You can't put a prophet in the same room with politicians. No, <laughs> It's like waving a red flag in front of a bull dude. They're going after him every time. And Jeffrey, Jeffrey, doesn't call himself a prophet. People get mad at him for some of the stuff he says, but 95% of what Jeff says is revelatory. 5% of it is Jeffrey. It's not Jesus, it's Jeffrey. And he gets in trouble with Jeffrey, but I just tell him, would you just preach Jesus and leave Jeffrey out of it? But I don't know if he can, because that's the flavor of who he is, you know? And I saw, I was with Charles Mahaney and Jeff one time, and Charles Mahaney said, Jeffrey, when you and I die, Pentecost is going to be vanilla. We're the, wow. we're the last characters in Pentecost, Jeffrey. And he said, no chocolate, no strawberry, just vanilla. <laughs> after we're gone. And so we, I don't know if we could handle a prophet today because some of those guys I've been around, they didn't take no prisoners. Boy, they were tough. No, Billy, Billy used to line us up. There were 10 of us. We were young, man. He would stand in front of us and said, pray, pray. And you better get anointed. <laughs> <laughs> because in 30 seconds, if you didn't hit it, he'd say, shut up. You don't have it yet. Next. And he just go down the line. Wow. And that where Paul said, I was instant in prayer. Billy believed you ought to be able to wham, plug in. And, and if you couldn't, he, he would rebuke you. And hmm. he'd say, well, I couldn't handle that. Well, <laughs> it, it, uh, whatever. But those were the men that, the only one I really didn't get close to was Brother Barnes in mm. Minden. Brother Tenney considered T.W. Barnes his 
sage. I mean, Brother Tenney wouldn't make a major move without consulting Brother Barnes. Wow. He wasn't a great preacher. He was like a farmer that rode a tractor and prayed, but God spoke to him. He told me, I, it, I it wasn't just me. There were three other men there. He said, when I was nine years old, I was walking home from school and a man was sitting in a tree. And he said, Tom Barnes, one day, my master is going to use you to pray for the sick. And he said, I walked under the tree and I looked up and there's nobody in the tree. My God. I don't know if you've ever studied. They call it ABC. A.A. Allen, William Brannan, and Jack Cole in the 50s. They were the first, whatever, great meetings. After the Second War, there was a lot of hunger. Anyway, Brother Barnes was 20 years old, and he went to a William Brannan tent revival in Houston, Texas. Wow. And he said that when William, he said, William Brannan would just get up and he would stumble around and he would say, I'm waiting for my angel. And then he said, oh, there he is. You know, he claimed that he could see a, a, a light above people's heads. And I have a, I can send it to you. They took a picture of him. It, it's fast. Anyway, there was over 10,000 people in the tent. Barn, or Brannan got up to preach and he looked out into nowhere and he said, and tonight, Tom Barnes, the master, will use you from this night forward to wow. pray for the sick. <laughs> wow. And he said, that's when my ministry started. Wow. Stories, great stories. And these guys were the real deal, but it's it's not off limits. No. You you can you can have you can have your own stories. You can have your own divine encounters with the Lord. Wow. My Pastor Hoffman, time has went by fast. <laughs> I, I definitely have more questions, but I, I don't want to take more of Let's your time. Do it again. Let's yeah, do it again. I'd love to do it again. I'd be, I'd be honored to do I it. I would love to do it again. I'll be in contact. And uh, I want you to know on record, Sister Nito is absolutely fabulous. She has been such a great great help get me in contact with you. And I'm just, I'm so thankful that you've taken time out of your day, had meetings and I'm sure I know you got meetings after this and you've just taken time to speak into our lives. That's what means so much to me. You said, you know, these ministers were kind to you. You've always, every time I've been in your presence, you've always been so kind to me and other young ministers. And I just want you to know how much we are grateful for you. Um, but I just want you to know, thank you for taking time. I appreciate it. Thank you, though, for those that are watching here today. I'm so thankful that yes. you tuned into us. We have heard from a legend of our time and in, in, in our life and in our ministry. And I know this has been a blessing to you. We will have Pastor Hoffman on again. And I'm just so thankful again for you watching. I pray you all have a great day in Jesus' name.